Hi friends, welcome back to Rambles in Perspective, a podcast where slightly strange people discuss random topics. Today in the studio we have Aziza, Danny, Ryan, Sanjeev, Tolo, Welo, Wazir, your host, and myself, Shashit, otherwise known as the Slightly Strange Squad. Ryan, do you want to introduce this week's topic? Um, so basically this week's topic is the right to repair. And it came across from a video I was watching on how John Deere, the tractor manufacturer in America, is stopping farmers from repairing their own tractors or equipment. Um, so yeah, basically what's happening is that tractors for the past, I mean, not tractors, farmers for the past 50 years, maybe 100, have been fixing their own equipment. Um, it's basically become a tradition and um yeah and now with new tractors whenever they buy one from john deere they're not allowed to fix it as they would because john deere says that they don't actually own the tractors that they own the rights to use the tractors even though they paid for it which is kind of weird um so yeah we're going to look at this topic in the space of other things like electronics and so on and so forth anyone else find anything interesting yeah, so I went into the history of the right to repair. And basically what I found was it dates back to the 1980s uh, where car manuf- where civilians were trying to get car manufacturers to allow for right to repair and allow for them to go to third-party mechanics to get their cars repaired or to repair it themselves. Uh, VW were one of the first to get that right uh, with the VW Beetle, which they designed with Hitler, apparently. Did not know that. Uh, And then in the 1922, there was a court case against Kodak because Kodak was also um, basically monopolizing the right to repair in terms of their cameras. They lost that court case and now cameras you can repair at home or send to third-party places to get the camera fixed. And recently, or in more recent times, it's the right to repair your cell phone or smartphone, as well as uh, being able to unlock your phone. So that's like jailbreaking an iPhone or using, um, what is the Android version of jailbreaking again? Rooted. Yeah, rooted. Like because those are in America, those are considered illegal. I think in the EU as well, they're considered illegal. Uh, so people are trying to get that to be legalized, and then as well as in terms of electronics and fixing components and fixing screens at thirty-party places, as well as by yourself. Yeah, those are some interesting. What's jailbreaking? So basically, with an Apple phone, you are restricted to Apple-specific uh, software and apps with jailbreaking you it allows you to basically unlock the phone and get third-party apps onto it and basically unlock the potential of the phone and it's legal right yeah to jailbreak. It's, it's illegal yeah it's you illegal. void your warranty yeah, illegal yeah. just a question on the right to repair does this right to repair sort of theme topic only fall under elect- electronics or is it for anything? Because the, the ones that you've listed for now, like just some of the examples are all like technology related. I think it falls under any product, doesn't it? 
Yes, so it falls under any product, but the main driver for in terms of the movement, the right to repair, has been electronics and um, do cars fall under electronics? Automotive, yeah. Yeah, automotive. No, 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 automotive is a different sector. Because it's if you sector, but it's all technology based. It's all progression and mechanical and kind of that again, the try to enhance as the society enhances itself, it wants to progress. So that uh, like that the idea of being able to uh, get access to this new information while still being able to develop and use and mix what you have. Yeah. Uh, if you look at a different sector, it, uh, a similar concept in software is called open source, where that allows you to... Um, so the code for a specific program is open to the public. If you want to add anything, you can add it. If you want to update it, you can update it. If you want to tweak it and take away certain software components or whatever it's called, codes or lines of code, you can do that. So it's. I think it, it has different names in different sectors. Uh, but in certain sectors, it's easier. So like furniture, if you want to break or not break, if you want to upgrade or change your chair, you can do that. No one's going to hurt you for doing that. But where it comes yeah. in terms of right to repair is you tend to void your warranty or you void or you breach contract agreements with the company that you're buying certain things from, even though the consumer should have the right to do these things because they're owning these products so technically it's yours and not the company's anymore but that's not what it's yeah seen as so under like a big umbrella so it's basically like you can you can do whatever you want with whatever you bought is basically what people are finding for right yeah basically yeah at the like if you just strip down all the nonsense that's exactly what it is i bought it it's mine therefore i get to do what i need to do with it if that's upgrading, then that's upgrading. If that's repairing because it's broken, then that's repairing because it's broken. But the interesting thing with the right to repair is when it comes to electronics. So if you look at a plug, uh, so your three-point plug, it's got the screw there. Yeah. So those screws are one-way screws. So they only get screwed in once. You can't unscrew them. The reason why they do that is for safety reasons. So that you don't unscrew it while it's like plugged in or get shocked or whatever the reason is. Uh, <laughs> So there's like there's two sides to the reason why manufacturers will not allow consumers to do certain things. And that's basically the reason w- what they use for you not being able to repair something. So like let's say you, you're trying to repair your phone. The reason why they're saying that you're not allowed to do it yourself or send it to a third-party thing is because of safety. But in certain cases, that's not true. But that's just a blanket statement that they use. So just from like a kind of interior design point of view, because recently we've had problems with products, designer products that we've bought for our projects. And I know it's not in terms of like a technical or like a technological electronic sort of kind of thing, but like some of these furniture designers have a certain style and certain sort of way they do things and the way they'd make their products right if something is sent onto site even though the instruction manual is there and you can technically fix it us as interior designers don't want to do that like we would rather send it back to the original designer 
where they can see where they went wrong, what went wrong, is it the delivery that went wrong, was it us, was it them, kind of thing. So I, like, yeah, I'm, I don't know which side I'm on, but yeah. just in terms of like what I've experienced, I think some of us don't want to repair it because if we repair it, we mess up the product. But you see, you're not the end user. Yeah. You the middleman. You like a third party because um, the end user is the person who you is doing the interior for. And it, if that person, the furniture piece goes wrong once you're long gone, they need the option to fix it if they want to. So yeah. it's about yeah. that person, not about the you as the third the party who's getting from the manufacturer. Yeah. yeah. But then we've also had cases where they would kind of call us again and be like, oh, this chair leg is wobbling. Like it's a very easy fix technically. But they're like, no, we bought this chair for 20,000 Rand and the, the leg is wobbling. So figure it out. So now we have to go back to the design and be like, remember last year in March when you did this chair, it's wobbling. Now what? But I think the main thing is also that it comes down to choice that you can be like, I don't want to fix it myself. So I want to send it back. But you should also be able to be like, I want to be able to fix it myself and I shouldn't have to put in all that effort to send it back. So, so yeah, so that's what the movement is about is saying that we, you as consumer needs to have that choice available to you. If you want to send it to back to the manufacturer, so your phone's broken, you want to send it to Apple, you can do that. But there needs to be that choice for you to be able to go to someone else to get it done or for your, for your own self to do it. Um, Makes sense. Because that comes in terms of like costs. If you go back to the manufacturer and they're the only ones who are able to fix your phone. They set the prices and there's no competitiveness in terms of pricing. Yeah. When you open it up to third-party, um, what do you call them? Third-party companies, third-party people, whatever you want to call them, that allows for competitive um, pricing, which dropped pricing, which is better for the consumer. Right now, um, consumer electronics, whatever it may be, is usually only available to the manufacturer. They set the price. If you don't like it, Tough cookies, basically. But I think what it also comes down to for like big com- companies is like planned obsolescence. So they can also really control what products are in at the moment and sort of like kill things out. So if they don't really want a product on the market anymore, they can just be like, oh, we can't really fix this for you anymore. Um, you kind of have to get a new one. And it is that kind of like they have their control around consumerism. Yeah. Um, which is why they make it unavailable for you to upgrade because it would be cheaper for you to just like upgrade your phone yourself. Yeah. Um, but they also like, if you look at the way they advertise, it's desirable to have the newest of the new. They change designs, they change yeah. features, you know, like adding fancy cameras and stuff. So for them, it's that like control of a consumerism. Like I think probably all of us like, when you think our phone is getting too old, we're like, oh, we need an upgrade. When in actual fact, like it's probably going to be fine. Yeah. Um, we just like yeah. desire the newer, fancier. And it's not, it's not necessarily like a, a personal thing. Obviously, like I, I know someone who doesn't even own a phone. Um, but I think it's also just the way it's framed in that you have to have like the newest and like the... Yeah. And I think that the consumerism and the planned obsolescence that leads into um, electronic waste, which is a big problem right now because manufacturers don't know how to deal with 
products that get sent back to them that they don't want to fix because it's not economical for them. And it's just easier for them to send you a brand new um, system, item, whatever you want to call it. Uh, yeah. So uh, what I wanted to say was maybe like from a product designer perspective, yes, we've been taught being fresh out of kind of a, a university that you need to be sustainable. You need to think about the life shelf of your product from where these materials come from to how long it's going to be in use for, and then inevitably where it's going to actually end up, whether it ends up being reused, recycled, or just discarded completely. Uh, but what I want to kind of put in here was that what if as product designers, where do, where do we lie in this? What, what do we think? Because yes, we, we experienced the, the other side of the, the coin at this point where yeah, we've bought items, we've bought products, we've seen it happen. Uh, we've we've kind of studied the history of products being made in mass manufacturing from very unsustainable methods. Uh, but now moving forward, yeah. for us as designers, how do we find a balance between making a living, earning a living, creating products that are sustainable? And I don't know, a little more user-friendly to people that want this experience yeah yeah but i think i was watching a video of a guy who was speaking about this about how designers and engineers um they kind of have this ideology going into the working world of i want to change things i want to change the right to pay i want to design a product like a phone that can be taken apart like i mean a couple of years ago or a year or so ago there was that modular phone idea that a student did <clears throat> where it was basically your processor wore out, you just change your processor modular module, sorry, and your camera, blah, blah, blah. And that was the idea where it was like, you know, right to repair, right to upgrade type of thing okay. where you could change your phone and keep the same body, but just keep changing things. Um, and that never saw anything. It never went anywhere. I think Google bought the idea from him and then they just squashed it because they didn't want that. So I think as designers, though, it's we can have these ideas and we can want to do these things. But like the video I saw, say, the guy was saying that as soon as you get into that big corporation and you're there to change things, you're immediately going to be squashed down. You're immediately going to be told, I'm paying you. I want the product to do this and this. So I think sometimes as designers, no matter what we do, if we need to get to eat, basically, we have to conform. I don't know. I have a question to you guys as industrial designers. So how do you guys feel kind of, I, I obviously like I'm not quite today in terms of what you guys are thinking, but like how do you guys feel standing in between the fact that number one, you kind of do rely on people wanting new products and new things and constantly changing up their products to in essence survive because you guys are designers, you guys design products. Um, and also that thing that Sanju said with the sustainability and blah, 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 and the right to repair and people fixing their own things. Because if people fix their own things, they don't want new products. So where do you guys, like, how do you guys feel in terms of kind of being in the middle of that? Because you technically you want people to buy new products because you guys design new products, but then you giving the people, the cons I know it sounds cruel, but you're giving the consumer a reason not to buy new products. Yeah, then. In, in all honesty, I think there is like a middle road 
um, where we can design in between. So like you design like a base product that can be upgraded and you can design the new parts or elements that we need to go into it. Um, like, I don't even know if this relates so much, but I don't know if you know the clothing brand Patagonia. Yeah, hiking brand. They're not, they're not really in South Africa. It's uh, more over the seas. Camping brand thing. Yeah, it's like an outdoor brand. So they, um, I don't know if it's still going on, but I, I watched a documentary a while back where what they do is they make quality garments. And then instead, like, let's say your your fleece gets a hole in it from fire or whatever. Instead of you having to go and buy a whole new fleece, they offer repair kits on that. So they'll give you stuff so you can patch it up and like make it your own and like increase the lifespan. And they give you like for any kind of like material that that would be or colors and stuff. Um, so I think there is like a middle ground between designing for consumer consumerism and uh, designing for sustainability. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, uh, just to jump in there, the project that Ryan was speaking about, the modular phone, it's called Project Ara, A-R-A. And they have a Wikipedia page if anyone wants to go find out more information about that. Yeah. So like as, yeah. A, as a product designer, I think that, yes, we can find an in-between. Like we are in that ideal situation to maybe find a compromise from both sides. But I don't think we're quite there from uh, a technological point. So like a... Like, like a software kind of information system point yeah. of view where it's, it's not as simple to yeah. take what someone's designed or someone's created. Yeah. But, and, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, now I was just yeah. going to say to counter your point, you're saying we're not there technologically, but I was watching um, Adam Savage fix his drill press and he was like showing how that drill press was designed in such a way because it was from, I think it was from the 40s or 60s. And he was showing how that drill press was designed in such a way that it even came with a manual. And in that manual, there were steps to fix things that would go wrong. Like if your chuck came loose, the manual showed you how to replace it. It gave you a part number. And not just like how, but it gave you step by step. And another guy I was watching, he was also showing how a radio, when you open, used to open up old radios and you look, looked at the back of the lid, there was a diagram for the electronics. So you knew what to replace. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's that we're not technologically mm -hmm. there yet. I think we were there, but that was taken away from us. Do you mm -hmm. get what I mean? Yeah, by that like drive for consumerism. Because wasn't it um, post-modernism, I think, where it was like to have an ornamental household, to have lots of things that was like, that showed your status. I mean, it even is a thing now. Like people think that if they buy lots of items, somehow that equates to their happiness yeah 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 and, uh, to go to go off of ryan's um thing uh, a simple way to see that like you were looking at manuals is uh today's manuals don't come with schematics and if they do come with schematics in terms of like product design it's just an exploded view and we know that they can put way more in that manual than what they really want to put in there but I think it also comes down to like how much of it are you willing as a manufacturer or company willing to give your, con not your consumer, your competitor uh, in terms of staying on top, getting the most bang for your buck in terms of manufacturing certain things so that your competitor doesn't basically rip you off like we're seeing in what's happening in like 
the whole America China debacle. Yeah. I don't know. I think I don't know. I'm, I'm like gonna sound a bit like my dad here, but I think a lot of it also comes down to capitalism, and I don't think that will ever really achieve this like um, sort of design world where everything or like things like right to repair and planned obsolescence don't exist if capitalism is still existing you know so i think that well personally i I don't think that we can ever reach a sort of balance because if it's okay for this sort of bubble to be fine then it's gonna affect other places just as an example we have a graphic designer here so you can tell me if i'm wrong but it's like kind of like saying, okay, I've designed a logo for you, but here's the whole whole file. Like here's the Photoshop file. You can change it up as you want. Like that's not how yeah, but- it works, you know. Um, it's kind of like the whole tractor thing again. They want the codes to like change the software. They want, I don't know, parts to fix the thing. Yes, that's it makes sense in terms of that industry and that business. But now if you use the same logic on a different sort of field in whatever it is, like the graphic design, it's the same thing as saying, okay, now I've designed the logo for you, but here's the whole Photoshop file. Yeah. It's, a, it's the same sort of concept. So that's why I think it, it's very difficult to reach a complete, like, best of both worlds. It's either the one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like when I was working with this one client, she wanted me to do stickers for her, but like she wanted the rights and everything to it. And I was like, okay, I can, but it's going to cost you. And she didn't want to pay for that. So she did her own thing. I don't know if that like applies to this, but yeah. Yeah. People want the, people want the right to repair, but don't want to pay for it. I don't think we should pay for it though. I think if I'm buying a product, then I'm, I'm entitled to it because I'm paying for that product. Um, yeah, I think. I think with graphic design, it's different because there's a contract in place that if a certain payment is made, then the graphic designer gives away their rights to the design, which I know a lot of companies, big companies do, because they don't want a graphic designer to go out and reuse their design or work, if that makes sense. So yes, and basically on that note, so as a product designer kind of perspective on it, Yes, we'd like, I'd be okay with somebody buying a product, let's say, that we made. You take it and you edit it or you change it up or you go into it just to figure out what's happening inside. And that voids a a warranty, basically, is what, what most companies do. So with that, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've, I've bought a product from you. I'm entitled to all the information or background knowledge that the company has spent R&D for I don't even know how, how long and how much developing. I don't think it's fair to say that they that people have the right to own that information just because they bought your product. Because yeah. at the end of the day, yeah, at the end of the day, it's 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 how the company survives. It's how the company progresses. It's how they come up with new ideas. It's how they become innovative in their own respective field. So yes, if you, I, I think uh, giving somebody a product yeah. and saying. Once you've bought it, you have the right to do with it as you as you wish. That's fine. But don't expect the company to then take responsibility once you've damaged it or once you've uh, gone into it and done whatever you you want to basically. That 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 information is still uh, linked to that company because it's their research, it's their 
their knowledge that they've inputted and imparted on the rest of their clients, I guess. I just don't think that the right to repair in that sense is that people are trying to steal the company's technology and information. For me, the right to repair is more along the lines of like doing your own repairs on your laptop. Like I can't say, let's say if I wanted to like upgrade a part of the laptop that I would open it up and like study every little detail and then try and copy what was done by that company. Yeah. So, yeah. But I think that's the thing. Like we won't, but there are people out there who will. Yeah. But it's, but it's also, it's remember that right to repair doesn't only mean that like single person, I want to repair my own thing. Right mm. to repair includes third party repair stores. Yeah. So that's like, uh, like an off brand like guy. Yeah. yeah. Like I fix it. Or I don't know, some guy who's just really good with technology that wants to help people at a reduced price. And uh, he doesn't necessarily want to open up his, like, okay, let's use the same example with the laptop. He doesn't necessarily want to open up his own laptop thing because that would be like conflict of interest or whatever. I mean, there's laws against that. Uh, but it's to say that. I'm able to fix these things at a cheaper price and at a more, uh, how do you say, like a reliable than if I had to do it myself so that I can go to him, his fixed thousand computers, that risk isn't as high as if I did it myself. And that risk in terms of uh, him stealing information from the original company is also low because his business model is not making computers it's repairing computers if that makes sense there are certain laws and things in place from people stealing uh intellectual property from another uh like bigger company manufacturer or whatever that that may be recently my laptop crashed and this guy came out to do laptop repairs um so but he does like cctv and all that stuff and he's like into that whole thing and he's kind of like skilled in that area and as he was taking like the laptop apart um i told him like he asked like how how long haven't you serviced this in and i was like um and he was like no i can tell you you've never serviced this and i was like i tried to service it at matrix and they said that they couldn't open up the laptop and all that stuff and he's like they're kind of lying to you he calls these people um google technicians because they don't know like everything about the laptop enough to like be able to fix it properly you know and um so for example i've pulled up a brand or let's say a a nice furniture design brand or electronic company brand and somebody purchases something and something goes wrong so they take it to a third party individual to try and get it fixed now all of a sudden this product just doesn't work the way it used to or something else goes wrong with it don't you think that kind of devalues or degrades a brand especially when somebody else has experiences with that product and it's not as the intended original make of it is yeah i think that also comes down to so i think it's something in the automotive yeah. industry that happens a lot um I'll give an example, like with, um, I don't know if you guys know the DJ Dead Mouse. Yeah. 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 Um, basically, he wrapped his Ferrari in his, in like this, um, Mao, um, what do you call it? In that rainbow cat thing, the meme. I don't know how to explain it. Oh, exactly. yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. And 
he had it on his car for a while and then i think a month or so of having it ferrari um contacted him while ferrari's lawyers contacted him contacted him and said if you don't remove it we're going to sue you for infringing on our copyright uh basically ferrari claimed that he was defacing their brand um and destroying their legacy um and ferrari's done this twice there was literally another Instagrammer, I'm not Instagrammer, fashion designer, who just put a shoe he designed on his Ferrari, took a photo, and Ferrari immediately sent him a lawsuit, um, which I think in many ways is, comes down to if I'm buying the car, I should be able to do what I want with it. And that becomes this thing of where companies start to care more about their brand image like Apple and Ferrari, where they just want to, you know, care more about their legacy instead of just letting the consumer build their own. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I think like a yeah. part of why the... Uh, you're okay. I don't know how I'm going to describe this now. Like the, the reason they have customers is because of the consumerism they've built up or with their brand legacy. Like, you know, a white t-shirt from Mr. Price could be the, exactly the same as a Gucci white, plain white t-shirt, but they've built up that, like, I don't know, historical. Uh, I think it's, it's called per- perceived, perceived value. Yeah. So they do a lot of like these videos on YouTube and you can search them. It's like, especially with clothing is you can have two different clothing manufacturers come out of the same, I'm not manufacturers, clothing brands come out of the same manufacturing a plant but literally because it has that badge on it it like it brings up the value of 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 the specific item or whatever yeah so it's called perceived value yeah which is something that companies build up to yeah danny so that's why i think like ferrari sees it as being defaced as opposed to like someone like i mean I, i agree with that people should once you own what you own you should do what you want but a big brand is trying to like stay consistent keep their brand out there to get more people to want to to I buy mean, the question then comes to does one guy wrapping his car in an internet mean sorry uh, really affect a brand that is technically considered the world's most um, recognizable and wealthiest brand right now would it really one so- person but I mean, one person has like a big following. If I ever managed yeah. to own a Ferrari and I put Nyancat on it, like, yeah. you know, people will be like, oh, look at that Ferrari. But who's that person? Yeah. You know, yeah. like maybe yeah. it's on my Instagram account with my like 300 followers, but I think it comes down to. Sorry. Sorry, Sanjay, you can speak. Uh, basically, in this day and age, do you actually have a massive social media following? And to be able to create a trend of some kind. It's not the most difficult thing to do when you have that many people at your disposal. So yes, if one person with a big following yeah. decides to deface deface a brand by putting a meme over a car, who's to say that now 10 other people or 100 other people won't do the same and indirectly doing that to the brand without being kind of mindful of the after effects that it has. But I mean, does it, would it really have an effect? Because like, if you think about times where 
let's say sport i mean like big shoe companies um like something problematic happens like i think at some stage people are burning like nikes or reeboks or whatever and i mean that happens and like you get a bunch of people and it's spreading all over social media everyone's burning their shoes but at the end of the day a whole bunch of people are still going back to get shoes from nike and nike hasn't really been affected by yeah any of that you know so even if this guy like plastered some weird meme cat all over his ferrari really like wealthy bougie people are still going to go buy ferraris because well it's ferrari yeah i think that also comes down to like um what do they say uh bad publicity is better than no publicity so like even if like like even now ryan couldn't remember the meme but you remember that it was a Ferrari car. So technically Ferrari is not losing in this. Like how yeah. are they, like, I don't understand how they're losing value in this. Like where, where's their ability to sue the guy yeah. in putting this on, on his car? They're not losing anything in this. Yeah. Yes. yes, the guy's technically defacing his car and it's no longer a stock car, but they're not, like I don't see how that is at a loss to their brand. You yeah. know what I mean? You're still remembering yeah. that as a I Ferrari. As a game. Yeah. Yeah, Ryan. Ryan. Yeah, I kind of see it as a game because at the end of the day, if he's doing that, a younger generation who follows him and or knows the meme is now gonna think, "Oh, Ferrari is this cool brand because this guy we like is doing it." And that's why, on the counterpoint of like, you get like a company like Lamborghini, who literally doesn't care what you do to their car once you buy it. That. Now, you, I don't know if you'll see like on YouTube or social media, you'll see that there's more Lamborghinis like that are being bought by these influencers or these YouTubers, the automotive YouTubers. That's because they're allowed to do whatever they want to the car. Whereas Ferrari is now suddenly this brand who's seen as this very richy, rich, very exclusive. But maybe they want to be there. But I feel like they're missing a whole market there. I think just bringing it sort of a little bit closer to home, I think it's to an extent about the confidence of a brand because again with the interior design we had this one we found this one artist who did like a big circle artwork but because of our design we wanted to cut it in half we literally wanted to cut the circle in half and like frame it like staggered so we called the artist obviously so we called the artist artist and asked if we well if the artist could commission artwork for us like that but cut it themselves so they cutting it not us and we want to stagger it and this artist was straight up like no i don't do the stuff like that i don't do commission artwork what you see is what you get this is all you see and this is all you get kind of thing then we're like okay fine respect the artist then we went to a different artist on the same website it was like a website with a whole lot of different artists went to a different artist and this artist was like sure i can cut the artwork for you whatever you want i can do for you like the art is still in that artist's style. The artist is still going to do its own, his or her, I don't know whatever it was he or her, his or her own art. But it's kind of like the whole Ferrari Lamborghini thing where the one artist was like, yeah, sure, why not? And the other one was like, no, this is what it is and this is what you're going to take it as. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's about the confidence of a brand because I think if you are confident enough, no matter what people do to your product, people will recognize your product. But I think it makes more sense for like somebody who's an art to feel some type of way about it because I think art's a lot more of an emotional thing. I mean, not mm-hmm. to say that like designing cars isn't like 
I know some people are like super passionate about it. (laughs) (laughs) I think that like, um, there's a lot, there's, it isn't so like emotionally, it isn't as emotionally based in the automotive industry as it is in art, you know? But then again, Mm -hmm. it could, the person who designed Ferrari could have had that emotional attachment to the product that we don't know about. Kind of like how that first artist was like, no, this is what you get. Well, we have an artist here, so Sanjeev, give your opinion. Uh, Can I just go first? Oh, thank you. Um, So I think it was on the news the once uh, where a bunch of artists were asking Donald Trump not to use their songs at his rally. And I think Ferrari is trying to do this thing where they don't want to have like, like this negative effect because just now someone like puts some really dodgy artwork on their Ferrari and then everyone's like, oh, Ferrari is like, you know, dodgy now, I guess, you know, kind of like protecting themselves before anything bad happens. And also their brand might be very close to their heart. When Shishen was saying, you know, some artists won't like kind of stray from the style or that kind of thing. Makes sense. Makes sense. I think that like also again, sorry. <laughs> I think that also like um with that, I think it's a little bit different as well because when it comes to artists not wanting their music played at Donald Trump's things, it's Donald Trump. And I think artists don't want to be perceived as like mm. showing any sort of support for Donald Trump versus having a meme on your car that's like you know, it's just <laughs> okay. So, so basically, what you guys are saying is that it's um, like context-based, dependent on the situation. It should be yeah. allowed. Depending on the situation, it shouldn't be allowed. But then, isn't that um, contra- I think that was contradicting. Is either uh, how they say balls to the walls, or you're not. You can't be in between. Yeah, you you can't basically it's, have people it's good, have double standards, yeah, wh- and that's not fair. Because as an artist, it's depending as on the situation, because I think no situation's exactly the same. So you can't always yeah, be like, exactly. every, like this standard applies to every single thing when every situation is like different. I mean, I feel like you can't really, really cannot compare music at a Donald Trump rally. Donald Trump but rally. Perspective. <laughs> like a me on a Ferrari. I personally yeah. feel, I don't know. Okay, but like, okay. If, if it was a different okay. topic. So that cat thing, right, on the car. Oh. Right. Maybe Ferrari thought further and said, what if a Trump supporter or someone that's like a negative supporter decided to do the same thing with their Ferrari, just stick maybe Trump's face on it? Who are they to say, you can't, but you can? So might as well just say no to everyone. Yeah. Because yeah. they would rather say no than say yes to everything that could possibly happen. Yeah. So I think could also be that it's not just because oh they stuck a sticker on ferrari they yeah. it could be something else i can see that so on that well lolo sent me a thing recently about how um certain white south africans have been cutting oh, up yeah. the rugby jerseys the springbok jerseys oh, because of the black lives movement that uh because our... sia Kulisi supported it what people are stupid yeah and I mean, like you cutting a whole jersey up, a whole brand that you supported your whole life, just because one player was like, "I support Black Lives Matter." Sanjeev, what's your opinion about this whole art thing? 
for me, I, I, I think it's, it's a complicated situation, but you can't necessarily give an opinion of one without the other. And having experienced it, uh, I think from, from my perspective, it's, it's unfair to say that one person's opinion of, let's say, an artwork or one person's input into that artwork matters more than one person's input into a design which I feel is very unfair because the amount of people that never mind went into creating, designing, uh, resolving issues, hard work, labor, and everything that goes into one design for a product and the emotional charge that's input into an artwork. Yes, like we said, each thing has its own kind of avenue of what it entails and where it derives itself from. But at the end of the day, it's still... But like, say if someone bought a piece of your artwork and took it home saying, oh, I love it, I love it, I love it. But now also I want that yellow paint of tube that you used. And they take the whole yellow paint of tube, uh, yellow tube of paint and painted half your painting because they like the yellow more. How would you feel about that? Does that not take away the value of you your see, art? As, as an artist, I can tell you from like a starting out yes that would that, that would irk, that would irk anyone if you did it to anyone's work it would irk them to a point where you borderline frustrated and aggravated but it's my understanding that i've designed it i've made it and i've sold it once i've sold it it's not in my hands but at the same time what the future for that artwork holds or if somebody else sees that artwork and it's linked to me they think is that what this person does is that the level of creativity this person has? Or is that just how shoddy their work is? It, it can work both ways. If somebody takes my work and enhances it, yeah, okay, fine, that's good publicity. But at the same time, that's not my work. But if somebody takes it and defaces it, then it gives me a bad name. Whether I'm starting out or I'm a professional. So either way, it takes away your name. Either way, it's still affects me negatively. There, is, there are positive sides without say, yeah. but there is still a negative outcome. Uh, well, my argument to this whole thing is, why is it okay when it comes to like DIY culture? That's like, that's okay, you can do that. But this whole right to repair and open source software and altering an artist's um, uh, artwork or sculpture or whatever the case may be is like that's frowned upon but it's okay to like do it yourself take milk carton and make it into a pot plant type of thing like why is that okay but doing this is like not okay like what are, what are your guys's opinions on that i think a lot of like diy things i could be wrong you guys can correct me um i think a lot of diy things are from scratch like you make your own thing, you're designing your own thing. Yes, it might be a pot plant made out of cardboard, um, but it's something that you come up with, I guess. Whereas like the right to repair is taking a, like a bigger product in a way and wanting to change what it is, I think. Yeah. Like, but let's say I'm DIYing at home and I want to make myself a big pot plant. And I find an old Ferrari wheel or rim from a car that was in an accident. Is Ferrari going to sue me as a DIYer for taking their wheel and using it as a pot plant? 
Exactly. I mean, I feel like if they could, they would. <laughs> <laughs> so then at what point did you actually... Because this whole the whole world is like pushing for recycling and upcycling. I mean, are people going to start getting sued for reusing an iPhone's case for something? Okay, so like with every brand, they have like within their corporate identity, they have rules um, with where their brand can and can't go. So let's say a beverage brand, like maybe they wouldn't necessarily want to be associated. Like let's say you make a loo roll holder and somehow that branding is still there. Now someone's taking a dump and you've got that <laughs> brand there, but it's because someone DIY'd it. Um, Cause I know that there's very strict rules in and around like wear brands. Like some don't allow even like their brand to be on a floor or like specific clothing and stuff like that. Um, it's like Louis Vuitton. They don't sell their bags at a cheaper price. They will burn all of their bags that they don't sell um, just because they don't want their products to be sold at a cheaper price. That's crazy. That's wild. Yeah. 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 Wow. Maybe some people think it's okay to like alter a mold pattern or change a laptop or something mm. because those pe- those things are mass produced. Whereas an artist's work, it's like there's either only one of that or two of that or five of that, and it comes from yeah the heart. You know, it's not just like something like oh yeah, it's there. It's personal. To counter that, I think we can't say that an artist's work is coming from the heart. Therefore, it should be protected. What if I, as a designer, would designed the iPhone or the macbook it's coming it was coming from my heart too because that's my passion that's my love designing a nice product designing a good looking product does that devalue my thing do you get what i mean yeah exactly like i think it's it's super interesting that it's framed so differently because like let's say throughout our degree we're constantly criticized about our designs and like your lecturer or even what would be your clients in the future can literally turn around and tell you that your design is shit. And we've just got to take it and upgrade it be better. But like with an artist, then they can walk away from it. They don't have to make any adjustments necessarily because it's viewed as them doing it for them. Whereas a designer, we're doing it for other people. I don't know. Could but we can back to the right to repair. Sorry, Lolo. Oh, sorry. No, no, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just saying to Danny, but I think that's where the difference is then. Because for designers, you're designing the product for people, whereas a lot um, with artists, yeah, you're designing it for people to view, but you're not like it's a lot more emotional and coming from like you know about you. Yeah, like it's not like the person who designed the MacBook did it because of a childhood trauma. Yeah, necessarily. Well, I mean, I could be wrong. That's not a fact. <laughs> but I mean, like, I will go Google just in case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I get that. But I mean, there's products like, um, there's, a, for example, that watch for blind people that where they can... It has braille on it. Yeah, and you can yeah. use it to tell the time. I mean, that was maybe designed, I don't know, I'm not sure, but it could have been designed by someone who has a blind family member and they were trying, and that's also passion and love put into it. But then people sit back and are like, oh, it's just a product. So, but it's not but an then, artist, Ryan, so, you know, it's got no love. Going back to the right to repair. Going back to the right to repair, if you've designed something, a product, like say, for instance, the, a MacBook or a blind person watch, a Braille watch, yeah. if you've designed this from the bottom of your heart and this is something very dear to you and stuff, would you want a third party to repair it? 
I would. I think I. I don't know. It's, but okay, this is my personal design view. I would want to design products that can be repaired. Mm-hmm. I would want to provide the ways to repair them. I'm not going to stop you from repairing something or even modifying something I've designed. But I do want you to appreciate that I designed that with passion or love. You get what I mean? I think it's also like, um, I don't know if this is so much repair, but it's also about like additions or whatever. Like if you buy a laptop, for, ex- for example, and you kind of needed to do something else just then like run a few programs, you need to to store it like a lot of other things on there it's like is people are individual and even though we kind of buy the same product we need to kind of like alter it to suit us as well yeah i'm to ryan wanting to use his old laptop to make another screen yeah so so by ryan doing that ryan voids the warranty and that's in breach on on his like supposed subliminal contract that like now he's going against this company trying to do something that would benefit him yeah, but it's not benefiting me it's also benefiting the boys down by that laptop but i've just landed up yeah, yeah exactly, exactly it's exactly. not often that a warranty lasts more than like two to five years from what i've yeah. seen obviously it differs product to product but most laptops have come across it's a two-year warranty if the laptops pass that yeah. then you know what warranty are you avoiding by opening it yeah. up yeah exactly I think it's also like maybe I think companies need to like relook the whole right to repair. Maybe it's not like out of the box you can like do whatever you want. But like once that warranty lapses or like there's a grace period that lapses, you should be able to do those things. If that makes sense. But right now those things aren't available to people to do. So don't you think what's like in general, uh, I, I think we can all agree that there's a, a, a certain year level or year period between maybe one to two years where generally most companies choose to say, this is what our warranty will cover for this two-year period. Then within that, don't you think it's the level of R&D for future research or future products that's being done? So by inflicting or by removing that warranty prior to that two years, you kind of access that level of information without giving them the time to enhance and stay in that game, for example. That, that's just like what I'm yeah. thinking. <clears throat> yeah, but my thing then becomes like, what if I <clears throat> drop a glass of water on my laptop? Or oh, maybe I drop it, but I can fix it. I mean, do you get what I mean? Because then if it's within that two years or year of the warranty, I, I want to fix it myself. I know I'm technically capable. And I mean, now I go and fix it, that therefore my warranty is void. Because let's say I fix the one issue and then something else goes wrong, but it's something that the ma- on the manufacturer side. They're not going to replace that. Yeah, but who's to say that it didn't happen prior anyway? You see, there, then there's a, a conflict of interest with whose fault yeah. lies away. Because if it happened with just your machine yeah, or just your item, it's a once-off, then it's probably going to be your side. But if it happened with a full range of products, like when there's a fault with a car, they have to recall the whole lot. Yeah. They can take it to a mechanic. Yeah, no, that's the thing. Like, let's, say, let's say I've fixed something and there is a recall. Yeah. They're not going to take back my product and replace because they're going to say that I opened it. 
Mm-hmm. That's what happens with recalls. They don't allow you to print something back yeah. if you take it to a third party. Yeah, because you in bridge, which is unfair. Yeah, I mean that whole right to it also include like buying the components because like Apple doesn't allow you to buy the original components. The components are only sold to Apple, and then if you want to get it, they sell it as a unit, and then or would not even allow you to buy it at all from anywhere. Yeah, yeah. You have to be certified by the certain manufacturer so that they're able to send it to you because that's basically saying that you're not going to steal from them like Shushen was saying uh, and you're not buying this part so that you can replicate it. It's just saying that you're taking this part so that you can repair someone else's thing. Yeah, you're right. You have to... like. I need a back from specific people. My yeah. car, I needed a coolant, but I needed just the valve for the coolant. And they don't sell it as a we did find one place, but you might as well just buy an entire coolant system when I just need one single valve. You see that's also with the automotive industry because of this whole thing of you of right repair being taken away. Is that you find now car parts if you're not getting it from the dealership or the manufacturer you're not going to find it anyway. Like if you look at all the cars from like the nineties, you can find second hand or third party parts that were made for way cheaper somewhere or anywhere. If you just walk into a Midas or something. Um, nowadays with a modern car, if you have like a new three series, you can't just walk into a Midas to get the light bulb to change on your indicator. Yeah. You have to go to the dealership where they're going to charge you 2000 for a small little thing. And you just like, why? So I experienced something like that just like very recently where we had a, we had a fuse blow and on, in, in, in the vehicle. And this fuse was something that uh, allowed access to uh, the lighter, basically the lighter in the front panel. So the longest, for the longest time that I can remember, we've had this vehicle, but the lighter's been stuck. And we took it directly yeah. to the dealership asking them, you know what? We'd like to get this resolved or fixed, and they were like, "It'll cost you thirty rand." And we're like, "So what is the actual problem?" He said, "It's a fuse." So we said, "Okay, for a fuse, thirty bucks. Okay, seems seems fair." We then went to uh, kind of like a, a mechanic on our way back and stopped past and asked him, "So this is our problem. This is what we got told." Uh, apparently the problem is a matter of just switching out a fuse. How much How much would you charge us? It's like, uh, I can give it to you for two rand. So Jesus. it's a matter of, and it, it was something that was so simple, a matter of switching a fuse where the dealership would charge you 300 times the original price of the product, whether or not it's supposed to be compatible or not. I don't think that's an issue because in this day and age, you can get... 10 different products that can be the, the same standard just by 10 different manufacturers that do the exact same yeah. thing. But because I've chosen yeah. to go to a dealership and get it done by them, I would get charged a dealership price. Whereas finally outsourcing the, the, the product by someone else or an alternative market, it'll be way cheaper. Yeah, I think that goes back to what Danny was saying and perceived value. Mm. Uh, your risk involved by going to a dealership is lower than your risk 
going to a third party me- a mechanic. Like, yes, it might be the exact same part, but you are not sure of that because you don't know what parts they're using in the dealership unless you have like an inside guy or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And you kind of like, you place your full trust into the dealership because of the name that has built up. But mm. I mean, you guys know Frankie Frank, the car. So Frank is turning 20 years old this year. And two years ago, we were having problems. I think you guys remember when I was breaking down like every two seconds. And um, and for like 15 years of his life, maybe 12, he was going to his dealership to get serviced and all of that. And not once did they replace the fuel filter. And that's like 12 to 15 years. And that's supposed to happen in every kind of like standard service. Yeah. And it took me taking it to my friends in the South. <laughs> and they were like, why haven't you replaced the filter? This is the original one. And I was like, no, <laughs> I don't know. We took the car to where it was supposed to go. And this is what happened. <laughs> it's kind of like on a side note, yeah, I guess it's kind so, of the same with medicine. Where yeah. you go to a pharmacy and the ask you, do you want the generic or the original? It's kind of like they do the same thing, but it's just mm. the name of it yeah, that's exactly. different. Exactly. Yeah, but you see, but you see, in the drug industry, that's allowed. Whereas in the automotive yeah. industry, that's been pushed away. You have yeah, I mean? that's and true. in the electronic mm. industry. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but isn't it reminds it, me of the. Yeah, Danny. Isn't it uh, the drug industry just because of like the trademark expiring that it has to change the name? So, I mean, that's... it's not. I think also. For certain drugs, the it's open source. Basically, they allow people to see the chemical makeup. Hmm. <laughs> um, also, just on a side note, when I was lying in bed last night, like thinking about this right to repair and stuff, like one of the things that popped into my head was um, like toys, because you know toys are kind of made to break, and like parents do anything for their kids, people in general. It's babies and pets that are like priorities so i was like brainstorming my head like what would happen around that and i just had this like random thought of people suddenly having all these like franken toys where they have like baby dolls that get all like messed up and like <laughs> it was just <laughs> or, like That's just the yeah that room. not andy's room other one the room yeah which room it was uh when when basically i think it was in the second toy story where uh, we ended up in his neighbor's room, and all those toys were. Oh yes, toys. the kid with the yes. skull on his shirt. Franken kids, yeah. yes. Yeah. Not the Franken kids, you're the freaking toys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, as designers, where do we stand to end off? <laughs> uh, I say, right to repair should be a thing. I. Like Definitely. Having this discussion, I think there should be certain limitations and things to like restrict intellectual property and stuff like that. But I do think it should be a thing. Uh, whether it should be on a like a merit to merit basis, possibly that's going to be difficult. But I think it should be there. That's just my final say on it. Definitely agree. I agree. It'll help things like uh, all these products that just go to waste plants and sit there for forever and never degrade. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Save the planet. I hope that it becomes a thing. 
Like, yeah. obviously, it's not right now. It becomes a thing, and still with the respect of the original designer. And because if you throw something away, if like say for instance, like a lotion bottle, if you throw it away, you throw it away. You don't think about who designed the bottle, who designed the lotion, who made up what. You know, it's kind of. I hope that like the respect for the person that made this thing, invented this thing, designed this thing, formulated this thing is still is being credited in the future. Yeah. 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 But I mean, it is like becoming a thing because I remember reading, sorry, uh, that in the UK, they were putting in laws that um, people had to be able to have the option to repair their own products. Or that was that law was sort of like in consideration right now. Yeah. Yeah, same in South Africa. So it could just open up as well to like, let's say if people do want to upgrade, you can drop laptops down to like a lower tier and have other people develop them at lower prices and it can like expand where technology can reach, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Like let's say as a student coming out, let's say you you get a job where you need to buy a laptop that's 25,000 Rand to do like a design job or higher than that. You know, you're not going to be able to do that straight off the bat. But if you could find one that's like lower and you could upgrade it and stuff like that, then yeah. 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 Would help a lot of people. I guess we can wrap up this episode. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, please subscribe to our channels on, on our channels. We don't have channels. I'm lying to you. Please subscribe to this podcast. Uh, give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter. We won't be posting anything there anytime soon, but please do follow. <laughs> and at Rambles in Perspective. Yes, at Rambles in Perspective on all platforms. Listen to us on all platforms. That's Google Podcasts so far and Spotify. Uh, and we'll see you guys we, next week. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And bye. Hey. Cheers. Bye.